The Sam Sorbo Show is brought to you in partnership by the Herzog Foundation. Hi there. I'm very excited about my guest, but before I get to my guest, I have a little message from our sponsor. New mommies and mommies and grandmas, have I got news for you. This is the greatest product that I have, the new product that I have seen come along in a long time, the Tush Baby. And you can go to tushbaby.com and I'm gonna tell you how to get a discount in just a minute. But first I have to tell you, it's like a fanny pack, except it's sturdy. It's a solid like shelf that you strap around your waist and your baby sits on it or lies down on it or you hold your baby on it. And it saves your arms, your shoulders, your back. It's the greatest thing because it keeps the baby close to your heartbeat. And it's just, it, it's, a, it's a game changer as far as I'm concerned. No more lugging around the stroller. It's a pack that you can put stuff in so you can store a couple of diapers in there. No more lugging around your great big, you know, uh, diaper bag. This thing is an amazing new product. So go to tushbaby.com and you can use the code SAMSORBO to get 15% off. That's the code SAMSORBO, all one word. Get 15% off, makes a great Christmas gift. Oh my gosh, I've already given out two this year for new babies that I've met. And uh, I encourage you to do that too. So tushbaby.com, you'll see everything below in the details. Thanks, bye. Hi there. Welcome to the Sam Sorbo show. I have a special guest today. Um, Daniel Greenfield is a Shillman journalism fellow at the David Horowitz Freedom Center, and he writes for Front Page Magazine, also The Point, and he has his own blog, danielgreenfield.org slash Sultan Kanish. I've been following him for a very long time. Uh, not only is his writing exceptional and exceptionally interesting, but he does have a fantastic worldview. So he's somebody that I often recommend to people. And so I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show today. Welcome. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's great to great to see you, especially with what's been happening in the world. So I figured we'd start with, uh, you know, nothing too controversial, what's happening in Israel <laughs> Um, and you've been writing a lot about that, including about the Holocaust Museum. Uh, and uh, so why don't you talk to us about that, your, your, your take on what's happening? Well, part of what happened is what's happening here. When you don't secure your border, when you don't keep enough of a watch and you have enemies, they will eventually come through and they will do incredible harm. Meanwhile, the people on the left who talk about tolerance will be on the side of the attackers. They will be on the side of the killers, as long as they claim, as those killers, the attackers claim that they're doing this for social justice. And so we see Hamas now joining the various social justice causes after BLM, after all the other destructive movements. And a lot of people are surprised by this, but they should not be surprised by this because this is what the left is. The left is dedicated to destroying societies, countries, uh, to do identifying with the worst sorts of evil uh, in order to overturn everything that we know and love, our values, our families, our countries. And people don't understand this, I think, because they're not educated to discern, you know, good from evil or right from wrong, in a sense, right? Absolutely. You know, people have been indoctrinated by the idea of social justice, of so-called anti-racism. And what does that mean? What it means is that there's no right and wrong, really. Uh, there's just oppressors and the oppressed. And what you do to somebody, whether it's right or wrong, is it right or wrong to punch somebody in the face? Well, you have to ask about their politics. Is it right or wrong? Are you punching down or are you punching up? 
it's okay to punch up, which is to say, I hurt people who are privileged, who are in some ways can be described as the oppressor. And in Israel, they're saying that it was okay to massacre entire families, kidnap babies, kill them, because they were settler colonists. Now, there's been a trend in the United States to have these land acknowledgments where people say, I am a, a settler on this occupied land belonging to this and this Indian tribe. What that says is we're settlers and we can be decolonized the same way the Israelis were. It means that we are fair game for obviously violence, but also any kind of discrimination. Um, we do not have the same rights as the people who are legitimately there. And the left, of course, gets to decide who is legitimately there. So it's the end of morality. It's the end of constitutional liberty. Um, and it creates a caste system in which there are people who have all the power and who can do anything they like and others who can't even defend themselves. So what I'm hearing you do right now is draw a parallel. So what's happened in Israel, um, the the Hamas from Gaza attacked, and, and I use that loosely, but any in any case, attacked Israel and the left is justifying it because in it because they're saying that it was occupied territory and you're predicting that we're going to have a similar event or events here because we are also considered to be occupying this territory is that what I'm hearing absolutely it's the same moral logic that runs through here through Europe through a lot of other countries like Australia and Canada uh, the idea is that we are the illegitimate settlers, we're the oppressors, and the people who are the oppressed, it's, of course, are invariably leftists. Um, they have the right to engage in any kind of what they call resistance, resistance by any means necessary, to decolonize it. So that can mean obviously destroying statues, burning cities, we've seen all that in 2020, but it can mean uh, any kinds of personal violence because we are illegitimate. We don't have the same sets of rights. The Bill of Rights says that everybody has the same set of rights. Uh, a leftist dogma, anti-racism says some people have different sets of rights. Right. We, we're all equal, but some people are more equal than other people. Exactly. So um, first of all, what what is the latest that you're seeing out of Israel? Is there anything that you want to share with us about that? So it's been hard fighting, and this is stuff that... Um, absolutely scared American military planners when we had to deal with this in Iraq, when we had to go into dense urban areas that was very ugly, bloody, dangerous fighting. Uh, Israel's ground operation is making it in in record time with very low casualties. We have about 34 killed in the ground operation. Uh, this is pretty impressive. Um, obviously, Israel was caught napping. What happened on October 7th was an absolute disgraceful disaster, but uh, the military is trying to make up for it. And they've done this actually, despite what you hear in the media with very limited civilian casualties. Uh, it's, it's an impressive operation, but at the same time, the question is, where do we go from next? Even assuming Israel does destroy Hamas and Gaza, these are still areas that uh, the Clinton administration decided would be a good idea to hand over to terrorists as part of a two-state solution. There would be a resolution, the terrorists would be legitimized, we would fund them with taxpayer money, and that would bring peace. And obviously that has failed, it's failed for 30 years now. The question is what comes after that? And that is really the thing that's hanging over DC, it's hanging over Jerusalem. Do you go back to negotiating with terrorists or do you just put an end to them once and for all? I wonder, so I know that there's been a lot of talk about a two-state solution. What is your opinion on a, what they're calling a two-state solution? Even assuming that some sort of uh, two-state solution would be possible, it's definitely not possible with terrorists. There was no reason to think it would ever be possible with terrorists. Uh, but, was... but, they, but they elected 
Hamas? Yes. Or was that just a rigged election? What, I, I didn't I didn't actually know what to make of that, if that was for real or if it was, just you know, if it's a banana Republican and they stole the election, so to speak. Well, the last time there was an election in the so-called Palestinian areas was about 2006, 2007. Uh, that is also the last time anybody had an election. And the basic reality is, yes, they did elect Hamas. You know, the elections around here, only, around there are only so legitimate. But the polls continue to show that Hamas is fairly popular. It's more popular than the PLO, which goes by the name of the Palestinian Authority. So you get a choice between two sets of terrorist groups, and they pick the one that is even more violent and more murderous and more jihadist which really should surprise nobody because we've seen the same thing play out in other places where we tried a nation build. We tried a nation build in Iraq. Uh, they kept electing um, Iranian-backed Shiite terrorist groups, which are now attacking the United States. One of the stories that's not really being reported is that the United American personnel in Iraq have been repeatedly under fire, under rocket attacks from these Shiite groups that are backed by Iran in Iraq. And people have been killed, people have been wounded. Uh, now we're actually striking back at them. The bottom line is we tried democracy and nation building in Iraq. It didn't work. There was no reason for the Bush administration to think that it would work in Gaza and the West Bank. They tried it anyway. These are the results. So where do we go from here? I mean, Israel has to protect herself. So step one would be not allowing any terrorists within Israel's borders. Whatever happens, however you govern those areas, is a challenging issue, but you cannot have active armed terrorists building infrastructure and storing weapons and carrying out attacks within your borders. This is this should have been a no-brainer, but unfortunately, uh, this myth that diplomacy can solve everything, that if you give these people what they want, they will be peaceful. What um, they say they want. Yeah. Right? We. I mean, let's be careful. They say they want things. Those clearly aren't the things that they want. Uh, they want peace on their terms. They want power on their terms, not on our terms. We keep pushing democracy in Afghanistan or Iraq or again in Gaza. And we have the idea that uh, if they have the same processes, they're going to be the same results. And that absolutely is not what they want. What they want are these Islamic dictatorships uh, governed by Islamic law that are going to ruthlessly suppress everybody else. They do not want what we want. You have been designated as a hate group. How do you get the designation of a hate group when you're a single person by the Southern Poverty Law Center? Uh, one of my proudest accomplishments. <laughs> the Southern Poverty Law Center gets used by the FBI. Their ratings get used um, widely by so many of these organizations. They're baked into ESG ratings for companies. Yet the Southern Poverty Law Center research is about as bad as it gets. The year that they designated me as a hate group, they also designated, and I love to tell this one, a bar sign in Pennsylvania not the bar itself. They designated the bar sign. Now, the guy who owned the bar would run all sorts of politically incorrect slogans on the sign outside the bar. So they designated the bar sign as a hate group. So uh, it's not just that they're biased. It's not just that they're leftists who are out to destroy anybody who disagrees with them. They're also really bad at research. Really bad. And you caught them faking statistics. Oh, absolutely. They've done this repeated. You know, they will say a uh, number of hate groups increased by 200%, 400%, 300%. Uh, one time I caught them um, taking the number of Act for America chapters, which is a conservative organization uh, fighting Islamic terrorism. So there were Act for America chapters over the country. They took um, their original listing of maybe 12 chapters and they listed all the chapters, 100 or so across America. And they said the number of Islamophobic hate groups has increased by a thousand percent. It Nobody is, it, yeah, it, it, because it sounds better for, for their purposes, right? Yeah. But it's um, 
it's all sort of posturing and positioning, and there's no real substance to it except that the FBI looks to them. Well, the substance is to criminalize and sounds political dissent. If they can name somebody a hate group, then anybody who has ties to that person is now also a hate group by association. If they attend a conference, for example, I'm invited to speak at a conference for the Tea Party, uh, they can now say that Tea Party conference hosted a hate group. And then they can do it all down the line. There's a Republican politician who attends that. And then 10 years down the road, they say this Republican politician attended a hate group, um, attended a conference where a hate group appeared. So they can criminalize, which is what we've been seeing, especially in the last eight years, they can criminalize any kind of political dissent by making all these guilt by association uh, statements. What do you think the answer is? Uh, to the left? Well, we actually have to take on and defeat the left and we have to do it. First of all, we have to actually win the arguments, but also we have to do it politically. We have to destroy a lot of the infrastructure that they've set up, a lot of what is, which is operates to nonprofit groups. We have to cut off their ties to law enforcement, which uh, have been absolutely militarized to go after people for political dissent. You know, we've seen school board members uh, treated as domestic terrorists uh, by the Biden administration. Parents. This is how you get there. Parents treated like domestic yeah. terrorists. Yeah. And uh, and and so so what can the layperson do? A person who's watching this video, for instance. Obviously, first of all, get involved locally. So much of the stuff is absolutely happening locally. Yes, get involved in school board elections. You know, we just saw what happened in Virginia. Uh, we saw what happened when, when people actually showed up the school board election. We saw what happened when people did not. So get involved. Get involved. Whatever. Uh, this is something the left does, by the way. They get involved at every level locally. They will always show up. They will be the first people there and the last people out. And for us, a lot of us, we have jobs, we have lives. Uh, we can't do this full time, but do whatever you can. Um, speak out, get involved. Uh, you know, a lot of people think it's going to be solved by electing the right people. Electing the right people helps, yes, but uh, showing up, um, whether online, whether in person, is really, really vital. When you show up, you actually can be counted. When you don't show up and you expect politicians to do the work for you, you're always going to be betrayed because. If you're not there for the politicians, they're absolutely not going to be there for you. That's it. Actually, that's very well put. So you have to show up because your presence is powerful. And if you don't show up, then the lack of that presence actually drains and the other presence, whatever it might be, has more power. You're 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 seeding your power by not making yourself known. Um, and, and I want to tell people, read Daniel Greenfield's column because you will learn so much about, about all of the different things. Is there something else that you want to talk about? Uh, any number of things. Um, Should we talk about Trump for a minute? Sure. So I, I'm sure you've been following the trials mm -hmm. and the judge and those things. Well, go ahead. <laughs> uh, this was a classic example of what I talked about in the militarization, uh, the weaponization of all these classifications, the investigation of political opponents. And yes, uh, they've made sure that the judges there are going to be the most biased people ever. And the judges have managed to impose multiple gag orders, one on Trump, another judge imposed a gag order on Trump's lawyers. Uh, both of those gag orders are aimed at banning them from criticizing the judges themselves. And Americans, you know, whatever your position on Trump is, Republicans, Democrats have to ask themselves, is this what you want? Do you want a country that literally bans um, people from actually expressing their views about the judges who are judging you? Should the judges be the only ones to judge? Should the left be the only ones to judge? Or should people have the most elementary rights of free speech? 
I, I mean, it's such a good point. And also, I, I, I read that one of the judges actually said, well, Trump's just a bad guy and needs to be punished or something, something along those lines. Basically, that judge ought to recuse himself or herself. I don't remember who it was, but um, because you, you should not go into the courtroom with a, a preconceived opinion of the guilt or or innocence of your of, of the person that you're judging. Absolutely. But this is something we've seen happen first to the FBI, the Justice Department, and of course, the judges. It's a basic question of what is your job? Uh, is your job to be objective and neutral to follow the law? Or is your job to protect democracy, which really means um, punishing political opponents or protecting your own side? And some of these people now answer their job as protecting democracy. So if you go after Trump, you're protecting democracy by preventing him from running for office, where a democratic election might actually result in him becoming president. Uh, this is the whole Orwellian flipping the meanings, reversing them, and using that to create total political oppression. Right. It's it's a uh, it's hypocrisy to the highest degree, and and unfortunately, it's achieving. So this is the thing that I struggle with. Um, the left seeks chaos, and they get it when they win, and they get it when they lose. When they lose, then they obviously spread chaos in order to create um, the momentum for them to take office. We saw right. this in 2020. Uh, when they win, they initially start with chaos, but then they actually start imposing order. Uh, you know, you take all the things that the left really deeply cares about uh, and ask them, you know, abortion, gay rights, unions, how many of those things exist in the Soviet Union, in communist China and Cuba? Uh, the answer is none of them. Before the revolutions, they would embrace chaos once they take power, and I mean total, absolute power, uh, then all the chaos goes away. We have a great classic example here in the ACLU, the ACLU, which was set up by communist supporters, and they spoke about this in order to help uh, for a communist revolution, would take on all sorts of controversial speech issues, including supporting the free speech rights of Nazis in order to maintain speech so that they could take over. Now that they have the power, the ACLU hardly talks about free speech anymore. They've dumped free speech because they only believed in having this kind of marketplace of ideas when it benefited them. When the chaos no longer benefits them, then they crack down and they take impose total order. Right. So they so, and that right. That's that's where I get so uh, bogged down is that when they they sow chaos, that's what they want. When they don't get it, they're actually still creating it somehow. It's just, and and we seem to be on the right. We seem to just be pawns and patsies because we aren't educated to understand what's at stake you know the mechanisms that are happening and and how this is all getting played out we are we are normal people which means we only have so much time in our lives to follow the news to care about the stuff to have this total dedication on the left there is a large cadre of people who have been brainwashed indoctrinated to do this full-time uh, with no stopping, and they do this 24-7. They are on this yeah. 24-7. It is absolutely challenging because even though we are arguably the majority, we are outnumbered in terms of not just the money, but just the amount of hours, the amount of time, the amount the of dedication energy we will put into this. Right, the energy. Yeah. So talk to me about um, states versus family rights. Uh, I know you've been following the transgender stuff and children, you know, the schools and all of that. So talk to me about that. 
Well, destroying the family was one of the original causes of the left, because in order to maintain total superiority of the state, you have to destroy the family. Uh, the transgender movement is obviously the latest embodiment of it. It has a number of advantages. First, they're destroying what they call the sex binary. And they're doing this by preying on kids, because those are the easiest targets. Among adults, it's usually people who are somewhat emotionally, mentally unstable, who fall prey to this kind of transgender stuff. And then they often kind of regret it. Um, the, but among teenagers, particularly teenage girls, and the, really the ground zero for this is teenage girls. And we actually are seeing very scary numbers among teenage girls. I have a daughter myself, not in that age range. Um, I am very worried about what the future holds in that regard. Because what we've seen is um, number of suicides among teenage girls, something you don't really see that much of, has climbed very, very significantly. Rates of depression, rates of mental illness, um, use of antidepressant medications have all climbed. And the whole transgender phenomenon has to be seen in that context. Yes, you know, we focus kind of on the 20 guys who are joining female teams, and they definitely exist. They are an issue. But really, the largest number of these surgeries are coming, are involving teenage girls who are being pushed, pressured into making decisions that will absolutely end their ability to have any kind of normal functioning lives, in many cases, will actually kill them. And this is being advanced in order to promote this agenda. And California, a number of other states have been aggressively pushing measures that will um, force it further beyond obviously just making sure that, you know, the boys who claim to be girls can use the girls' bathroom. Uh, they've done other very destructive things, one of which is to get this uh, inside custody law, which means that when you have a divorce and you have a custody dispute, uh, it incentivizes um, one, of the one of the parents to uh, advocate for custody by making sure their kids have some sort of transgender issues. And there are places that will be absolutely happy to do this for you. Um, you take your kid to one of these places, within half an hour, they'll get a diagnosis of gender dysphoria, at which point the other parent has a choice of participating in crippling their child uh, or standing up to that, at which point they lose custody. And this is what they've done in California. They're trying to do in a number of other states. It's absolutely evil. It, it It's so... It's, it boggles the mind how evil it is because they're really using children now as pawns for, uh, but you know what? Ayn Rand wrote about this in 1950 in, um, in a brilliant article, uh, Los Comprachicos, the, the child buyers. Um, and she, she points out that societies have been doing this. They use the children basically as pawns, as playthings for their own entertainment. Um, I don't find it entertaining, but apparently uh, I'm, I don't think I'm in the minority, but there's a there's there's a good portion of people who are very much about this. Unfortunately, the medical community is incentivized. And the only the only hope, unless you see other hope on the horizon, is the fact that these two young women who were transitioned surgically are now suing Kaiser Permanente. Uh, liability has to be the big discussion. One of the things I point to is before all this mania started, there were plastic surgeons who were targeting teenage girls with all sorts of cosmetic procedures. And this was considered shady, um, potentially illegal in some cases. Now they're doing this for um, mastectomies, other procedures. And of course, it's gender, uh, it's, you know, it's gender care, it's gender affirming right. care. And of right. course, it's considered absolutely great, but they're, it's the same doctors and they're doing it for the same reasons. And there has to be liability, not just at the level of the large institutions, but also individually. 
And that means, you know, state legislatures, uh, Congress has to pass laws saying that um, there is going to be a 10, 20 year liability window, maybe even a 30 year liability window where these patients can turn around and sue you for this. And so why these doctors would be much less enthusiastic when they realize they can be facing a 12, 20, $30 million lawsuit down the road. This is what the left did with so, many, so much product liability. Uh, it needs to be done here as well. That is a great idea. I don't know why the window should ever shut on that because the, these, these people will suffer. And by the way, they will require drugs for the rest of their lives. Yes. And we don't even know the long-term consequences of those drugs. So for the rest of their lives might be much shorter than we predict, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or would otherwise predict, right? Yeah, uh, these drugs cause uh, psychological instability. Uh, mental illness, and they also cause cancer. So those are just things we know about. And the suicide rates for that group is very high precisely because they're on some of those medications. Yeah, I mean, yeah. All right. Well, um, this has been really a fascinating conversation. Daniel Greenfield, and you can find him, danielgreenfield.org is the name of your website. I'll put it in the links uh, in the bio. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Thank you. This is the Sam Sorbo Show. Views and opinions expressed in the Sam Sorbo Show are those of the speakers and do not necessarily reflect the views and positions of the Herzog Foundation.